Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John Ersenstaku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Cat Water Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 53, where we're going to be talking about episode 52 of Critical Role, The Kill Box. I'm John, at Johnny Bates on Twitter, joined today by Jeremy. Hello, my name is Jeremy. I'm at Thomas for all on Mania on Twitter. And Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack, at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. See, I adjusted my volume up so that Jeremy would be a little bit louder, and then Jack leaned in and overpowered. <laughs> well, there we go again. Normalize your levels, everybody. Attempting to. <clears throat> attempting to. Anyways. Uh, yes, so today we're going to be talking about The Kill Box, episode 52 of Critical Role, uh, starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master, and Jack take it away so previously on critical role everybody was setting up to kill kevdak um vox machina was kill kevdak to... volume one kill kevdak volume one basically <laughs> um... this is kill kevdak volume two i appreciate the reference there is not an there is not enough western in this for it to be kill kevdak volume two really it's... wait till you get to my part <laughs> <laughs> i mean we have a guy with a pistol who shoots an arm mostly off of somebody. You're not um, wrong. You're yeah, not wrong. Okay, there, there's, okay. There's some, okay. My goal for this episode is to bring as much Western as I can now. Also, arms get lopped off repeatedly. Yeah. We will Tarantino. Yeah. That's more Kill Kev Deck Volume 1, though. Yeah. We will I mean, Tarantino the shit out of this episode. I feel like limbs getting lopped off is a, is a through line of both Kill Kev Deck Volume 1 and 2. We will, we will we will Tarantino this as much as we can. We are not going to have a whole bunch of white people that are allowed to say the N-word in this uh, no. <laughs> in this episode, however. Good Tarantino. Good not Tarantino. why Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> but previously, Vox Machin has been trying to save Teldoy from the Chroma Conclave, who are all these dragons that have been running roughshod over everything. And they, in order to do so, they're looking for things called the Vestiges of Divergence, uh, which are these big magical <laughs> artifacts from days of your uh one of these vestiges please is, please days of your tm yes uh one of these vestiges is being held by uh kevdak uh he's got the <laughs> titan stone gauntlets or knuckles depending on who you ask um and K- 
Kevdak's group of roving raiders has taken over the city of Westron, which is one of the cities that uh, Vox Machina as a group uh, spent a lot of time in, especially during their early career. Uh, so the, the tribe of Goliaths has taken over this sacked town that uh, the Black Dragon member of the Chromacon Clave sort of uh, looted for himself. And so Vox Machina, now coming up, has found that Grog's old tribe is here. The Black Dragon is somewhere in the area because the tribe has sworn fealty and regularly pays tribute to this Black Dragon. Um, and Kevdak's in charge, who has one of the magic things they want. So there's like seven different plot threads all intersecting in Westron today, which is pretty fantastic. Nice, uh, nice, nice bit of, of, of story composition there when you're, to, to hook everybody in. When all your plot threads come together to form a plot knot. Yep. Um, but they have basically, at, as we kick off this episode, they've managed to, Grog fairly openly enters the town um, because he's known to a number of members of this band of raiders and is able to successfully convince them to allow him to challenge <clears> them. <throat> for leadership of uh of the tribe um the rest of the group sneaks in murders a few people on their way to remain more or less undetected uh and grog ended his last episode having engaged with kevdak realized that he was wildly outclassed because that's what happens when you go mano a mano with somebody carrying a uh, magical artifact from the age of arcanum and so he yells for everybody to join in and, as they say, fuck shit up. Which is what they immediately proceed to do. Um, so they're stationed around this open square that's framed by these sort of racks of spikes uh, to, to create a level of, of central arena for Grog and Kevdak's fight. Um, there's a number of the members of this, the, the band of Raiders, the herd of storms as they're called in attendance. It's a very, it's a very dynamic, active setting. And of course, as soon as Grog yells out for his backup, everybody's attention starts running every direction as they're trying to figure out exactly who is where and what's going on. And everybody's trying to prepare to strike. Um, Kevdak takes advantage of the opening to attack Grog swiftly. And it's, there's, there's a ridiculous amount of just all hell breaking loose all at the same time. Um, main things, of course, this, this is beat by beat battle. As those of you that are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons combat goes, you know, ev everything stretches into uh, a long form description and, and gaming of what, in reality would take very little time to 10 minutes, to 10 minutes of combat takes three hours of gameplay. Right. Well, I, I, I would say like three, four minutes of combat, but anyway, yeah. Um, so anyway, the big beats in the early phase of this fight, uh, Scanlan manages to paralyze Kevdak, which definitely swings things in Vox Machina's favor early on being paralyzed as you might <laughs> anticipate definitely puts one at, something of a poor position when other people are coming at you with weapons and axes and spells and shit. 
Um, Auto crits are a bitch. Yes, they are. Even yep. when you're raging and only take half damage most of the time. Um, of course, this is somewhat mitigated by the fact that Kevdak's allies also join in on the fight and begin putting pressure on the various members of Vox Machina <laughs> who are trying to support Grog. Uh, but it's 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 not just a big group of of people against one person. It's a big group of people against another big group of people. Um, but given the paralysis being in place, there is a lot of shifting of, of position and tactic at this point. Grog disarms uh, Kevdak of his axe, uh, and they start working on the arms. You can tell that, that their strategy, their initial strategy at least, is, hey, these gauntlets give this... <laughs> this person a lot of power maybe if we can get one if not both of those off of him that will balance this fight out a little bit you know and if somebody's wearing something on their hands and then they don't have those hands anymore obviously you know that 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 kind of accomplishes said goal um percy who is firing from cover along with vax and vex uh does some crazy gun shit and uh manages to almost entirely sever the uh the right arm of of Kevdak. Um meanwhile Keyleth is on the roof dealing with archers that are positioned in in areas of elevation using her uh her druidic magics to reposition them and throw them off roofs and that sort of thing. Uh Pike just falls off a roof all by herself uh that without really help from anybody else and that sort of mucks things up for for the group a little bit um but uh ultimately the the fight becomes this sort of duration of situations where they're trying to chew down their primary target as fast as they can while still fending off the attacks from the outside um and and it's basically who's going to get to their goal first because they're starting to take pressure. They're starting to take hits and they're starting to drop. Uh, Percy manages to do a very fantastic arrow catch as uh, one of the archers takes a shot at him. That was that was probably one of the more dramatic moments post paralysis. But uh, it's if you're into the numbers, it's it's really, really slanted in favor of the the party as they're going at Kevdak because he fails his ability to break out of the paralysis for at least a yeah. couple rounds. Um, Pike and Scanlan are trying to do some healing <clears throat> to mitigate the damage that's, that's incoming. Uh, and uh, Grog is healing himself with his own potions that he has on him and that sort of thing. Um, Pike's also, uh, got her spiritual weapon conjured and that's assisting Grog in the attacks on, on Kevdak. I want to, I want to, I want to poke into this uh, description yeah. real quick, just to hop back a couple sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, the arrow catch. Yeah. What is it about catching arrows or bullets or various other things, things that are supremely fantastical in nature and don't really have a whole lot of real world analogs. There are some people who can catch arrows. Uh, but it's a very finely tuned, honed skill, one that doesn't really have any examples of it occurring until it started occurring in fiction. Um, uh, at which point you'll begin going, hmm, maybe I could, and then trying it. Uh, right. <laughs> what, 
what why do you why do the two of you think that catching projectiles became such a because if you if you think about martial arts movies and martial arts stories at mm-hmm. some point inevitably within those stories someone will catch a projectile of some kind right. and right. oftentimes it's used as like a as like a uh, as a signifier of badassery like the minute you can catch the arrow is when you have become you have ascended to the position of badass within the narrative and have gotten done with all of your student like training yep where do you think that comes from and why do you think it's so prevalent in that fetishization medium? of asian culture yep that's the simplest answer there's a significant amount um, of that yep mm-hmm. the it is a it is an ability commonly associated with martial arts mm-hmm. um which is somewhat fair because martial arts is very much about perfection of mind, body, precise movements, <clears throat> and the like. So if somebody's right. going to be able to do it, Speed a skilled martial artist yada, 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 yada. Yeah, right. is mm-hmm. going to be able to do it. And at the point where Western society decided, hey, we like Asian culture, we're uncomfortably attracted to Asian culture, <laughs> we want to... We, that became sort of the standard way to portray because honestly in a hand-to-hand combat or hand to melee weapon combat that's all cool and that's impressive but being able to catch an arrow or a shuriken or a bullet or something like that that's the sign of true badassery that is okay not possible necessarily i mean possible up to but not including the bullet part but yeah not not impossible necessarily but it is as close as superhuman as you can be without having superhuman powers and even prior prior to that sort of western assimilation and and uh and fetishization of 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 cultures predominantly associated with with the the asian continent um you had individuals who basically that was their job mm-hmm. in medieval and and middle ages warfare now they had shields that they generally did it with right but the idea of someone who has the capacity who has the perceptive ability to anticipate what's coming and react in a way that keeps either themselves or someone else safe. That is, that's a pretty axiomatic combat skill. Um, Well, that was, that was the thing that happened um, in historically in China, actually. Uh, Right. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, um, I think it was Zhuge Liang during that whole three kingdoms period. Uh, right. in China, but, but who, who sent out a bunch whenever, of decoy boats, sent out a bunch of decoy boats specifically designed to attract uh, both arrow fire, which they then reeled the boats back in and took all the arrows for themselves. Was, <laughs> <laughs> right. And then shot them back at the enemy, yeah. But as, lo- as long as there's been ranged warfare on a battlefield, there's been the idea of, okay, what can we do to stop this or at least uh, minimize its impact on, on this conflict as far as it would affect us? Um, as far as I'm aware, there were, uh, at some point in European history as well, there were one of the duties of the squire was to sit there either with a shield or sometimes even just with a sword and be fast Mm -hmm. enough 
to chop the arrows out of the air before they hit whoever you were you were designated to attend. So so that sort of thing, obviously, it's not catching, but but still, it's that intercepting of of the incoming missile that's that's been there for better part of a millennia, if not longer, in terms of in terms of real world military uh, in history. But yeah, the idea that, okay, yeah, you can you can smack it out of the air, you can deflect it or you can catch it on a on a big fucking piece of wood. That's one thing. Catching it barehanded, however is something entirely different. Yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting that uh, uh, Jerry brings up the sort of the fetishization of other cultures that Western mm-hmm. culture tends to do in general, not only, not only just to Eastern cultures, but to each other Western cultures. Like, there's, there's lots of weird things we do with, with our own neighbors. Anyways, uh, but, yeah. but uh, <laughs> because the first time I ever saw it, the first time I personally ever saw an arrow catch being done was in, like, uh, uh, mid ni- mid to early '90s martial arts movies coming out of China and Japan, mm-hmm. uh, and like historical, like uh, historical air quotes period pieces that were obviously being livened up right. by mm-hmm. by various things uh, coming out of that area and that culture. Not so much right. mm-hmm. Western people aping not a, it. Not a Western production. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But a, but a but a Western a Western display. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, that brings me to my favorite subversion of the Arrow Catch first Avengers movie. Um, when Loki catches one of Hawkeye's, only for it to be a grenade, which then blows up in his face and yep. knocks him off his speeder. Right, yeah. That's so, yeah. always... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's always the, 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 the great turnaround of that. Is right. When you have people like Hawkeye or, or, or Ollie... Or um, even not even them, like in 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 older stories, uh, yeah, the people who you know you have the person who catches the arrow, and it's a great feat of you know it's a great feat of 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 physical ability and stuff, and then the arrow blows up, or it, it or was a distraction or something, yeah. or was a distraction, or has contact poison on it, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, where the where the the superior intellect overcomes the superior physical ability. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which which is I I don't think I don't think we can. Re- all due respect to Clint, he's one of my favorite <laughs> Marvel characters of all time. No shit, one of my early favorite comics. Absolute. I still love it to this day. Was West Coast Avengers which Hawkeye was the leader of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody will accuse him of being the smarter person in a battle with Loki. Well, no, no. Uh, but it's, it's the, it's the superior tactical thinking at the yes. time. Like, right. Yeah. And <laughs> which, which, which actually, as much as you say, that's a reversal, Jack, that goes back to the root of this concept that we were talking about earlier with the, mm-hmm. with borrowing your enemy's arrows, because that was, yep. that was, you know, Zhuge Liang was in the middle of, I believe, was under siege, and they had run out of arrows. And so devised this idea of, well, I'm going to use my enemy's resources for my own and trap them into wasting a bunch of arrows on a boat made of straw, and I'm just going to draw that back in, and now yeah, I have right. all their arrows. So exactly. that, like, like mm-hmm. that sort of bringing it back around, subverting mm-hmm. it in that way of for making sure. yeah. mind over physical ability brings it back to the origins of that concept. Or to one of the origins of that concept of it being originally an idea, an, uh, a, a mind over physical ability concept. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, that's just it's one of those things that you see recurring in media of all manner of that uh, that physical prowess proven by catching guns, by, by catching bullets, thrown knives, thrown swords, arrows, yep. things like that. Um, and then just sort of why we sort of see that a lot. And so much so that it has become a sort of a standard thing in Western TTRPGs like D&D, where you have right. arrow catching shields and arrow catching gauntlets and uh, the monks who can just catch arrows. You're right. right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I just, yeah. Wanted, I just wanted to comment on that as a, yeah, no, as, a, as a narrative trope because it feels like yeah. something worthwhile to talk about. Oh, yeah, no. And it's a really iconic moment as well. Um, you know, yeah, because it's... And it's one of those things where even in D&D, &D, <clears throat> mechanically speaking, it's also dependent somewhat on the dice because you don't actually catch the arrow unless you roll high enough. Yeah. You'll, you'll mitigate some of the damage of it, but you know, unless unless you roll high enough, it still hits you. So right. There's, I I just like the, I like the ruling mechanically that the the kensai the way of the kensai monk can uh, deflect arrows with their sword. Right. So just, mm -hmm. <laughs> ping. Which actually, thinking about it, that's another thing that comes up that has come up more recently in uh, yep. the the Witcher uh, yeah. as a TV mm -hmm. series uh, as a property prior, but the. Uh, one of the things that one of the things that in in the narrative of the Witcher, the books, the the TV series, and the video games, mm -hmm. that uh, is used as a stay as sort of a a a a, a hallmark of the Witcher's preternatural reflexes is their ability to parry a crossbow bolt in midair. Right. I mean, which that's... which actually has some standing in reality. Yeah. 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 And that's also obviously. A, a, a Star Wars thing too. Yeah, yeah. parrying um, blaster bolts with your lightsaber. Which, yep. mm -hmm. which, uh, again, yes, it's absolutely a real thing. But let's be honest, this is Star Wars that goes back to Asian fetishization. Right. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> hard, hardcore, hardcore. Yep. I'm what just if, saying. What if George, I just stole all on. the really good stuff from Japanese cinema? You know, right. for the past like twenty, thirty years or right. so. But not the phys but not the the reactions of oh, I can't think of it, but it was Throne of Blood. I can't think of the actor's name, but uh, the guy that they shot real arrows at, and he wasn't expecting right, it. Right, right. <laughs> and his face was really like terrifying. <laughs> once you know that he didn't know they were coming, but right, you have to hand it to that man. Uh, one yeah. hell of an actor. And like, yeah, <laughs> goddamn. But, uh, that's one thing we should talk about sometime. Live Throne of rounds. Oh. In, no, live rounds in cinema and why you should never do that. The same reason you Except should never do that. The fucking thing crow. crow. Yep. I mean, also live. Also, that was a dummy bullet, but right. But, yeah, but, but, still. but still. Also live. Mm -hmm. Also live rounds in theater, and why you should never do it. Exhibit yeah. A: mm -hmm. John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, John. Really? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, but fuck wrong? you, regardless. No, <laughs> and you cannot too soon me on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you say I can't, and yet, and yet. Uh, but yeah, so this fight proceeds for a bit. Um, it sure does. Scanlan honestly kind of MVPs this in at least in the section that I was I was listening to today. Because um, not only does he get the paralysis off and manage to hold that for a good long time, he counterspells the one healing uh, that that Kevdak was about to receive. 
Um, and yeah, like just it's it's pretty. Anybody who thinks a bard is not a good strong combat class is wrong. I have is is wrong. Just is wrong. Yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not. You just you're just wrong. You just you just wrong. You just flat out motherfucking wrong. <laughs> so wrong. Just sit there in your wrongness and get used to it. How many yep. how many wrong quotes can we make today? <laughs> I mean, I usually stop with the Jed Bartlett, but that's me. Um and yeah, so at this point, um things are starting to look iffy for Grog though. Um he's been yep. attacking recklessly, which <clears throat> means that he's his defense is not as strong against the other members of the herd of storms that are starting to swarm in on him. And he's starting to take hit after hit after hit. And that's when Vex jumps in. And that's somebody else's section, I think. Yep. Yes, it is. Um, okay, so we've moved to... Let's see. We really need to work on these transitions. <laughs> well, no, because... So, for a little, for, for little behind-the-scenes here... We do it. We built in when I when when I split up the the times. I I build in a little <clears throat> bit of overlap, mm-hmm. um, so that way we're not missing anything. Uh, and I just ha- I always have to, um, because I did very more play by play. Yeah. Uh, for uh, and I'm not un- I, I, I'm I, I'm not changing my 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 my, my notes on the fly, because um, <laughs> ain't nobody enough. got time for that. Nope. Um, you, you at least took notes. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I take notes because otherwise... I wrote down, like, three sentences. Paralysis is murder. People get wrecked and fall off roofs and such. Percy catches an arrow. There's yep. my notes! <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Scanless. Okay, Kevdak nearly gets some healing, but it gets counter right. yep. mm-hmm. Uh At this point... Uh, some of the herd members start pushing innocence into the middle of the square, and human shields. Herd- yes, I don't know. Oh well, well, more of murder, more, more of just rampant murder because Kevdak is evil. I mean, that's um, fair too. Uh, three more herd members end up moving in on Pike, who managed to avoid being hit by the one who can attack, who can get close enough to attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grog takes a couple more nasty hits. Um. Scanlan also takes a hit from a herd member with a great sword, but manages to maintain whole person. Um, and by the way, which is honestly probably the only thing keeping Grog even alive yeah. at this point. By the way, I think we can agree that the MVP of this session was not any individual character and their choices, but Scanlan's fucking dice. I mean, that's fair too. Like yeah. Sam's <laughs> goddamn dice <laughs> that managed. To succeed on a lot of counter spells, there's one very significant one that he doesn't. We're getting to that. Yep. yep. And mm-hmm. so many concentration checks. Yes, dear God. Yes, indeed. Uh, but yeah, so Vex flies in uh, on her broom and comes up with the brilliant plan that Matt clearly did not see coming. Of putting speaking as somebody who runs rip. games, yeah. I love it when my players yes. come up with plans that oh I did my not God. see coming. It's amazing. Um, puts Grog into Raven's Slumber Crystal, uh, aka the Pokeball. Yep. <laughs> um, she does take several nasty hits in the process, but manages to fly away 
uh, well, Vax gets a great moment where he jumps off the roof, runs through everybody, runs up to Kevdak, dabs him twice, says, <laughs> your fate is sealed here today, my friend, and then runs the and fuck then off. fucks right off again. <laughs> like, when we say hit and run, we usually mean it in sort of a metaphorical sense. Right. It's it, it it's it it's it's what in gaming terminology we call kiting someone. Yeah. Um not for Vax. High, high mobility fighting. It's a yes. good thing. Right. Yeah, but no. Vax literally runs in and stabs <laughs> hit like viciously, like does a oh, yeah. lot of damage mm-hmm. because again, paralyzed person double damage all this right. stuff. Yeah, everything's crits. Yeah. Yes. Including the sneak attack dice, which are, which are dice. not insignificant at the point that Vax right. is right now. And then runs away because why not? Right. Because, you know, is it is it a paralyzed person going to attack of opportunity you? No. Right. <laughs> and what happens if that paralyzed person becomes unparalyzed? In some way. Well, you don't exactly want to be standing next to them. Do no, you, you don't, because they're going to be angry. <laughs> um, speaking of which. Yeah. The archers take aim at Scanlan to try and free Kevdak, which I really appreciated that moment from the bad guy. Because it's very easy <clears throat> when you are when you are. Are riding the bad guys or 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 running the bad guys in the game to say, well, it, they don't necessarily know it's magic, blah, 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 blah. They don't know necessarily which person it's coming from, etc. Mm-hmm. And the idea of these archers who are just nameless archers who are part of a barbarian herd. Um are 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 astute and perceptive enough in the middle of a really chaotic battle yeah to go that dude's the one that that has our boss paralyzed mm-hmm. we need to stop that i love it it builds the stakes for this fight so significantly and creates some real strong moments of absolute like edge of your seat tension because not only are you whittling down Scanlan, who, let's be honest, doesn't have the biggest health pool of the party by a mm-hmm. long shot or armor class. Right. But it also puts that all-important hold at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the three shots from the archers fail to make him lose concentration. Uh, Percy gets hit by a couple errors. One more archer, the last one, fires at Scanlan, and finally gets him to break the concentration. Right, because that was what? He he succeeded on four out of five concentration yes. checks in a single round, right? Yes. Yeah. It was is- ridiculous. Uh, uh, so it frees Kevdak, who orders the herd to kill the innocents as he moves to his healer in Greenbeard. Scanlan, in another great moment, pulls <laughs> out his wand of fireballs and fires off, hitting Kevdak, Greenbeard, several archers, and also killing two innocents and catching <laughs> Keely. <laughs> but he's like, ah! <laughs> Nuke um, this shit. <laughs> yep. 
He also manages to circle the herd member attacking him so he can see Spike can give her some inspiration. Uh, Greenbeard then casts the moment of like absolute horror when everybody feels like it's about to slip away, casts Heal on Kevdak, and Scanlan is unable to counterspell it. Right. Like the level of tension in this fight. I don't think it gets this good for Gen for a long time, even. It, 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 yeah, it takes a while. For me, this fight, you know, rewatching obviously not so much. Although still, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of tension, like, in it, even though we're watching it. Yeah, it, you, watching it at the time, like going <clears throat> all the way back, like like the 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 the, the fight with Kvarn, the um. Uh, uh, like the the fight with with the other Briarwoods, right? Briarwoods. All none of those felt as like this could be a total party wipe. And part of that, as this one, part of Mm -hmm. that was because. So, talk a little bit about building up uh, bosses, building up boss fights in particular. Yeah. Um, the one-on-one challenge at the beginning really set the tone, Uh uh, for the fight and for the rest of the party because Grog is. Hands down, physically the strongest member of the party. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like if you if you need somebody to go toe to toe one on one with somebody, you pick Grog, because and well, he's had those moments before, like the yeah. fighting pit in Vasselheim. Exactly. Like, you know, this is not the first time that that Grog has just gone one on one against. Or, exactly. You know. And 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 mostly that's because yeah, he can't necessarily put out as much damage as like Keyleth can or Vax can. But he can take a lot more damage yeah, than either can one of them can. The hits, um, and that's and that's coming, right? that's ultimately the more important part in a fight, like in a one-on-one fight. And the fact that Kevdak, even with Grog's ability to take hits, very handily uh, last episode took Grog to his knees. Yeah, just wrecked him. Immediately set the tone of Kevdak's superiority, and right. so. Having and 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 that sort of set the tone of what level of a fight this was going to be at the very beginning, and then over the the fact that they didn't got sent back up to basically that level of strength again, ratchets up your you know your yeah. sort of tension terror moment, um and and that that's a very important thing to do uh, narratively with your big bads is to give them moments of that overwhelming superiority if yep. you want it to be a tension like built fight things like um fighting the chroma conclave eventually having them already having been set up as this city ending monstrosities like so now going forward every fight with every dragon is going to have that same level of tension because they opened up by annihilating a city Right. Each mm-hmm. one of them yeah. individually doing things. And like the fight with uh, Vorigal that happened right after that, with Vorigal just freezing whole swaths of people with one yep. breath, set up what will eventually be the tension for that fight. Yeah. Have they already yeah. fought Vorigal yet? No. No, not yet. No, my brain, I, I, I'm viewing the timeline from a third person right. perspective. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, for sure. But, uh, but, and and so think looking at other media for things that 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 do that like Star Wars going back to Star Wars the opening of episode 4 a new hope 
has right. Darth Vader and his crew rolling through, just rolling through the defenses yep. of this one ship. And it mm-hmm. very easily, it very efficiently sets up the threat that this character presents without having to have him do a bunch of flippy jumps and lightsaber throws and force pushes. Just the fact that he casually wanders in behind this death squad and is completely unafraid of getting hit as he doesn't take cover or anything else mm-hmm. whenever he walks into view sets up his strength as an enemy. Um, right. It's very important narratively if you want to generate these kinds of tension moments to have had that set up. And in this yeah. case with Kevdak, it was set up last episode. It was, and it was set up really well. And that's the one <laughs> we all have our defaults that we go to, for examples. Buffy. Um, yes. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Buffy every season, every single big bat. It was almost uh, that show. If you step back and you look at it, the narrative structure is very similar from season to season. Yeah. And there's always mid season some kind of big twist or shift mm-hmm. and something that really ratchets up the threat of the villain. Yeah. And there, builds the villain up. Yeah. Whether the, it's the, the mid season stake stakes yeah. jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it was uh uh, Angel killing Jenny Calendar, mm-hmm. or That's a big one. Um, uh, 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 the Glory. the mayor co-opting Faith, the mayor co-opting Faith, uh, the revelation. I don't think this was mid. Uh, there were a couple things that happened before this that were also really big, but the revelation that Glory is a god. Yeah. And, um. So on and so uh the um uh the Uber Vamp, the first mm-hmm. fight with the Uber Vamp in season seven, where Buffy basically gets her ass kicked, Xander loses an eye, like mm-hmm. all of these things, you have to let your let your villains get a win so that the ultimate win over them is that much more satisfying. And, and it's and, and proves that that heroism yeah. that much more. And that's hard to do in D D. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. it's really hard to do in a D D context because the players don't want to let the villain get a win. Um and they will work their hardest to stop that. And oftentimes mechanically, they'll just find a way to screw your villain over. <laughs> right. Players not only don't want to get a win, after they beat the villain they don't want the villain to get away. That yep. too. Fucking train <laughs> battle. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got thrown off the train, okay? You did. You did get see, thrown off the train. That pretend, is okay. Though, John, okay. Okay. Let's okay. pretend you wouldn't have chased them anyways. If I hadn't right. been thrown off the train, I wouldn't have chased them, no. All right, but here's the thing, and especially with so, with a setting like Eberron, though, yeah. because I assume that's what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, no, I got thrown off a train, and so I had to chase them down to steal their horses because I didn't have any way and to catch up with anyone else. Oh. Right. There are two the of thing, them. Though. I think there right. were two left. Yeah, there are only two left, and I did kill them both. <laughs> that, in my opinion, that's where the show-me-the-body rule comes in, because oh, yeah. have the villain fall off the train, have the villain die in a way, die, in a way that gives the party that feeling of triumph. <laughs> yep. But as long as they don't actually have a corpse in hand, 
the party doesn't know what other you know yep. contingency plans that villain had in oh, yeah. place. For the record, they had a corpse in hand. They had two right, corpses. Yeah, yeah. Now, if, I, if I this had is a random. I had party, two corpses in hand. Right. I just mm-hmm. I, I remember midway through this fight thinking, you know what? If these guys get away, there'll be a cool like like opposite party like rivals. Like a New Mutants Hellions kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the fighter went and fucked that up. And that did not happen. <laughs> right. At all. If, yeah. It's not my fault I got thrown off the goddamn train. Right. But, like, I guarantee... And, and I didn't have a horse. Right. If, if I'm running an Eberron game... Oh, yeah. And you guys confront the big bad, it will be on the deck of a ship. Or better yet, the deck of an airship. Right. And I will let you guys kill that person. And then their apparently bleeding out body will fall. Well, this is this is what this is what and you guys won't have rings of I feather mean, fall at that did... point or access to the fly spell. They did kill a couple big bads that did eventually end up coming back. Yeah. Right. Like that's what the clone um, spell is for. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's fair too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do really want to point out. I do want to point out really quick uh, from a material that we're all f- more familiar with, um, uh, X Men, in a way that it was subverted. This 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 sort of rule of building up the bad guy. Um, in I think it was the second X Men movie from the tril- from the Hugh Jackman X2. as Wolverine trilogy. Yeah, yeah. X Two. Um, mm-hmm. When Magneto was in prison already at the beginning mm-hmm. of the thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was was that the second one or the first one? Was he already? That in prison was the second thing? one. The second one, yeah. He was and in prison in the first one. The fact that he was in an all-plastic prison mm-hmm. with literally nothing but plastic things around him sets up his power in a very interesting way, yes. in a very subversive right. to the normal mm-hmm. way. We yeah. don't have to have Magneto massacre a bunch of people to know his power. The fact that they have gone through all of this trouble just to keep him contained not right. to kill him, to keep him contained, yeah. shows mm-hmm. off his power just as well as Kevdak yep. beating down Grog in the beginning of the fight. Yep. And then, to be fair, he still kills a few people. I mean, he absolutely he does kill a few people <laughs> on his way out. But by that point, it's it, at that point, it's more uh oh, they fucked up. And right. less Magneto is yep. just that powerful because we, right. we, that, we that's not established the, that's that not the initial impulse of his power that you perceive. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's the fact that they've gone through all this trouble to lock him up. Right. And then because, it fails because later the audience on. knows as soon as he yeah, okay, iron in the blood, blah blah. Yeah, yeah, anyway. But as uh, soon as that but as I soon mean, as he got that medal, the audience is Jack, no longer she did, going she did at least inject him with the iron. Oh, yeah, and not, yeah, hey Jack, no, it's Did yeah. you know that magnetic powers allow you to control people's minds? Yes, the I X-Men was aware comics of that. told me that. <laughs> because you have a magnetic person. Oh, Stanley, you were a wonderful <laughs> comic book writer. You were not a fucking scientist. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 that is the that is sort of the the subversion yeah, no, of that trope. I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, no, seeing Magneto in that plastic yep. prison because is a ridiculous testimony to just how seriously this character. Yes, is because the the ultimate testament of someone's power is not what they do, but how other people react. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a and and that is a way in D&D that you can set up your villains without having to worry about your players ruining it mm-hmm. is having them set having setting up your villains in a way where your players can't really get the chance to interact 
but they can see other people who they respect or know and see how they react. Like, seeing your, like, in, in a traditional fantasy setting, uh, if you are uh, servants to a king, you know, you have a pretty good idea of that king's power, both politically and, depending on the setting, actual power. Right. Um, you know, because lots of fantasy kings are also mighty warriors or mages or whatever. Right. Um, we're great economists. Wait, no, that's just my setting. That's only yours. Uh, and <laughs> oftentimes not even that. Uh, right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but then when you introduce of an enemy general of some kind that your hero's king, who has ordered them not to attack anybody, um, has sort of they, they trembles with fear at or stands up to 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 sort of like try to get a superior level on rather than remaining seated. Any number of social cues that indicate someone is intimidated or by another character, or even just greets as an equal, or even just greets as an equal as well. Yeah, um, that can by itself set up the inherent power of this other individual without them having to bludgeon them to death, mm-hmm. much right. much in a Magneto style way. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just wanted to. I just wanted to jump on Good that because it was solid, solid analytical aside. Yeah, something yeah. worth bringing up. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a little bit left because I think we're almost to my part. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so yeah, Greenbeard, like you said, cast seal on Kevdak. Scanlan isn't able to counterspell. A uh, Greenbeard then turns into an Earth Elemental, while Percy, in uh, probably <clears throat> my favorite moment of this episode. Tries to make a rooftop jump. <laughs> rolls a me. Um, and pers- which means that narratively, he gets hit by the herd member behind him and falls into the alleyway. Which, unlike, in Call, of, unlike in Call of Cthulhu, in D&D, you can survive that fall. <laughs> right. Uh, pissed off, he gets to his feet, just pulls out bad news, and then shoots Kevdak three times. Um, Keyleth, then, who is completely done with this shit, drops back into her half-elf form and casts Firestorm in order to flambe Kevdak, Greenbird, and several herd members, I believe, at this point, becoming the first person in the party to kill someone who isn't an innocent villager in this fight. Correct. <laughs> and in doing so, also dropping Kevdak back to his pre-heel half. Yes. yes. Uh, which is where my part takes up because yeah, yes. that was between Percy between Percy and Keyleth. Between Percy managed to they managed to fuck him up something. Percy's three shots and Keyleth's firestorm dropped Kevdak back to where he was before Greenbeard healed. Which yep. was a bit of a rallying cry as uh, as uh, Liam announced that Vax was falling more in love with Keyleth at that very moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, can you blame him? I, no, like, I love fire. My, and my hell, girlfriend yeah. just called fire from the fucking heavens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's certainly a way to, that's certainly a way to my heart is to mm. incinerate several enemies. Yep. Um, I mean, fuck, I mean, you could get into my heart by incinerating several innocents. I don't <laughs> We were talking about war crimes before the podcast started. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways. For, for those listening to this months from now, if you're keeping track, it's the first week of January. It is. For those of you listening to this months from now, from your fallout shelter, 
<laughs> I hope you're enjoying your content. I'm sorry I'm we won't be able to do anything more. Of, I'm glad that you are part of the 3% left of the world that has an internet connection. Or maybe they downloaded it prior. You never know. Maybe they downloaded it prior, yeah. Maybe we're yeah. on cassettes. <laughs> maybe somebody has downloaded us onto like on, onto like like magnetic track tapes. Tape. <laughs> oh god. What if what if what if all this happens and like the YouTube YouTube headquarters gets blown up, and then we're the only way that the Critical Role story goes on. <laughs> yes, we oh become the God. we become the three dog of Critical Role. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> so for all y'all out there in the Capital Wasteland, <laughs> strap on your pit boy because this shit's getting real. <laughs> and we have to start doing it from memory and after a while we just start forgetting things <laughs> and that's when Keyleth turned into a hydra wait what? I don't remember that trust me it happened <laughs> it happened it definitely happened now excuse me while I pour another drink <laughs> anyways um so yeah, Keyleth rains fire from the heavens, kills a bunch of people, none of whom are innocents. Don't worry, the herd will get to that later. Um, because as the fight continues on, and it gets back to the barbarians' turns, as people, as uh, Grog, at some point on Jeremy's section, Grog got sucked into... Uh, yeah, that was like into the first thing. Yeah. He's in the Sorry. Pokeball. I had, I had to step away to get a bottle for my screaming daughter, so I missed part of Jeremy's recap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it yeah. was scintillating. I, was, I, I'm sure it was, it was glorious. Anyways. Uh, so, uh, uh, Grog is in this ball with, uh, and Trinket is hiding somewhere. I don't remember exactly where Trinket was hiding. I think behind a building. Um, Vex, uh, Vex is sort of flying above the, fu- above the fight, still raining arrows down on people. Kevdak has issued an order to get his weapon and gauntlets back as, both of his arms have been cut off and were cut off. Uh, they were cut off while he was paralyzed um, or blown off, depending on who was doing the attacking. Um, some of the herd goes to get those hands and weapons and brings them over to Kevdak, who begins to issue the retreat orders uh, as other members of the herd kill off the remaining innocents that they have hostage, including a drunk old man and a kid. Uh, the yep. kid being the <clears throat> one that affects the group most. Um, and is sort of the, oh, fuck, we've been screwing around too long. We need to hurry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I find that is a, uh, I think we may have talked about the, the time limit or the time's running out uh, concept before on this show. But nothing really drives that point home like a young kid being murdered in front of you right. because you're taking too goddamn long. Legit. <laughs> um, yeah. Always have time limits. Sometimes it can be people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, time is money. Sometimes time is people. <laughs> yes, time is money. Sometimes time is people. Uh, after a f- I think one more That's round. That's a weird tagline people... for the Dunkirk movie. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it's one or two more rounds of combat here, wherein people continue are still trying to nail Kevdak and get him down and kill him. Uh, Pike tries <clears throat> to get maneuver into battle from her position. After commanding a group of using the command spell to tell a group of people to hit each to attack each other on their next round, uh, after doing so, she sort of maneuvers through them, getting several uh, uh, attacks opportunity dealt to her in the process because command doesn't charm somebody; it just gives them an action to do on their next turn. 
Yep. Right. Um, uh, at which point, Vex flying over top Kevdak releases Grog. <laughs> Grog, released and fully engorged, drops from the air, axe first onto Kevdak, screaming for Stonejaw. Uh, rolling a natural 20, critting and killing Kevdak in a mighty blow. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because we are in the business of actual plays. I say business. We are in the hobby of actual plays. (laughs) Because we don't get paid. We don't get paid enough to be paid. We get paid enough to keep the website going and the podcasts going, and that's about it at the moment. Um, But... Actual plays are good for a lot of things, uh, and this is what this is. Ostensibly, Critical Role is an actual play, which for yep. those who aren't familiar with that phrase, an actual play is a recorded play session of somebody playing through a tabletop RPG. They are different from Let's Plays. Let's Plays are people uh, either voicing over a pre-record or doing it live, but still playing video games. Whereas actual play in, uh, indicates a live presence at a table of some kind. Whether right. or not that's a digital table or a physical table doesn't necessarily matter, but it's the, it's the fact that the game we're playing exists among us rather than exists as a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there's, actual play has been around for quite a while. I remember the, the, one, oh, yeah. the, first one that I, uh, the first ones that I started listening to and the ones that inspired a lot of what we do at Final Show Films now uh, was the Happy Jacks RPG podcast where they uh, a bunch of dudes sitting around in a basement somewhere out uh, somewhere out in uh, on the West Coast, um, uh, just shooting the shit, drinking beer, burping a lot, and eating food and playing D anD D and other games. Um, and one of the things that one of the things that actual players are really good for is familiarizing people with systems. Because if you don't necessarily have a play group, you can sort of uh, you can sort of osmose the rules of the system by listening to other people play them. Yes. However, right. this has a caveat, and the reason I'm bringing <laughs> it up here is because right now, at this point in time in Critical Role, they are playing with sort of a, with sort of a, a hodgepodge of 5th edition rules, 3.5 rules, and homebrew rules. Yep. Um, with a little bit of Pathfinder thrown in. With a, well, Pathfinder being a 3.5 base. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's that, 3.5 that's rules. That's the 3.5, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the 3.5 rules. Uh, the reason that I, I bring that up now is because if you're wanting to learn how to play 5th edition D&D and you care about the, the, the actual rules of the system, if you don't care, if you, if you like using home rule, homebrew rules, that's fine, absolutely, keep listening. But don't ever, don't ever correct people who are playing actual plays because you don't know what rules they're playing with. But right. always do your own homework and don't assume that what you're listening to is 100% accurate. Uh, because the, 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 the critical rules that they use to kill Kevdak, because Grog rolls a critical hit, are a combination of 5th edition and 3.5 rules. Which always amuses me, because later on they end up correcting themselves, are, are correcting their play to the 5th edition, as say correcting, but adjusting their play to the 5th edition rules proper. But it is, it is one of those amusing things where, as I recall watching this, there were a lot of people getting very confused and aggressive because people do that on Twitch chat. Uh, in the chat, the hell you say? Yeah, right. Getting very confused in the Twitch chat because of the rules that the rules that were being thrown around at this point. Um, 
and that is because they were used they were using a combination of these different rule sets either intentionally or not doesn't necessarily matter they're still having fun so whatever um but yeah so by all means watch and listen to actual plays to uh, of people playing new systems that you aren't familiar with that's how i learned about traveler and that's why and and the actual play that I listened to of Traveler is the reason why I want to play that game so much, even though I know the system's not great for character creation. Right. Um, but also do your homework, because a lot of times people running actual plays like Critical Role or other things, or even us, will, ha- will be using our own version of those rules and won't always make that clear at the top. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. And especially, and I think it's especially prevalent in moments like this, when when the game turns from a tactical number crunch to something a lot more cinematic, for lack of a better term. Yep. Yep. This is when, and especially if your group or the people that you're watching play tend to be, I would say, similar to <clears throat> us in that you're prone to let the rules fall in favor of story. This is these are the moments when 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 things get get faster and looser because either it's cooler, it's more creative, it's a little more personally relevant, it's a little more personally resonant. Um yeah, yeah these are and and but with that, I'm the type of person that these are my favorite moments of games. Right. Yeah. When everybody Same. realizes, yeah, okay, no, this this is not exactly according to the but this is where the best story beats are, so we're going that direction instead. Yep, absolutely. And as a GM, it's not, it's okay to be wrong on your rules, but yeah. players, let the GM be wrong and correct after the game. Don't try to correct in the middle of it, please, <laughs> because that just it just it, and and we're all guilty of it because all of us yeah, have our all, do it. all of us have our pet rules that we looked up that de- that morning and are like, oh, cool, that's how this works. And then realize later on that we might either not understand it as we as we thought we did, or the GM doesn't understand it as we as we do. Um, but just do your best. Let the rules corrections come later because in the moment it's all the GM can do to keep up with you, motherfuckers. <laughs> yep, it's true. Anyways, Grog kills Kevdak, slices him in half, hits the ground, collapses due to falling damage, and goes to zero. Um. The party scrambles to get around Grog on the ground uh, between Grog and the rest of the Herd of the Storms while also attempting to yell the Herd of the Storms into submission as Kevdak is now dead. Thus, Grog is in charge. At least their, their understanding of that, it, not them not being Grog, uh, is, is that should be how it works. The Herd of Storms calms down, not all the way to the stop, but at least bows are drawn and arrows are knocked, but not let fly. So right. no one is actively being attacked. Greenbeard resumes his normal form, uh, and the party gets uh, Grog back up on his feet. Scanlan uses Bigby's hand to lift Grog into the air, so he's like this sort of deified figure as Grog addresses the crowd. Uh, declaring that Kevdak is dead and that he was here to lead them back into the glory days of the true herd uh, and how they should be behaving rather than being subservient to dragons, and he calls for... what's his name? 
Kevdex's son or nephew. Zanror. Zanror, that's it. Calls for Zanror to be Lil brought K. out. Little I mean, little <laughs> Z, but... <laughs> uh, calls for Zanror to be brought forth. Uh, Greenbeard sort of struggles against the new authority, clearly trying to set himself as the leader of the new horde. <laughs> To which Grog responds, I'm not here to lead you, I'm not going to lead you, I'm just trying to set you all back on a proper path, one filled with glory, riches, and dragon killing. Uh, eventually, Zanror is brought out, uh, Grog is put back down, a bit of healing is done, but the, the, the uh, herd is still tenuous about people using magic at the moment as they're in this moment of temporary peace. Uh, and... Uh, Zanror is brought out along with his wife, uh, whom they have never met before, but uh, who is very clearly evident as Zanror's significant other. After a quick conversation, Grog uh, indicates that he is going to serve, meet out justice to the traitor, to the traitors amidst the uh, herd of storms, which previously by Greenbeard had been indicated to be Zanror, who had been. Uh, arrested and or who had been put in jail in, in chains and uh pending execution for standing up to Kevdak and trying to sort of uh take back uh control of the herd and remove them from their subservience to the dragon. Uh Greenbeard indicating that uh that Grog should kill Zenwar for that. Because he was gonna get killed anyways because he was scum and whatever. Grog calls for the gauntlets to be brought to him. Uh, the disembodied arms of Kevdak are removed from the gauntlet, uh, and Grog puts them on. He picks up the blood axe that Kevdak had been wielding as well, uh, and stands before Zanror, indicating to all and sundry there that he was about to put an end to the treasonous individual responsible for the herd's uh, current submission to dragons. At which point he pivots on his heel and buries the axe in Greenbeard. Because, you know. Who is not currently in a transformed state, and thus is fucking killed. <laughs> yep. Which is, uh, which is a, a very traditional, has been done a lot in a lot of fantasy storytelling, uh, Conan the Barbarian, you are not worthy moment, uh, where the, 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 individ the, the setup for who is going to be punished is, is put and then immediately uh, a, a right hand turn is had. Yeah. Typically, mm. this happens with villains. Hard left swerve. Mm. Uh, tip typically, this happens with villains, uh, like how a of a, uh, a villain who is actually a spy for the good guys will be about to execute the good guys, only to turn around and shoot the bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, this happened. It, this happened. Literally, every media I can think of has had a moment like this before. Star Wars for has had sure. it. Mash has had it. <laughs> the fact that Mash has had it should tell you how like <laughs> uh Mash being a comedy drama, not an action series, has had this kind of a moment. Um yep. all manner of things. Though in, in Mash's it was subverted in that um Frank Burns was was being taken out of the camp by a couple of uh Chinese infiltrators. Uh, at, under the guise of being uh, Korean, South Korean, um, South Korean medical medics uh, from a nearby hospital who had come to steal supplies from the camp, and everyone but Frank Burns recognized this, and so Frank got in the jeep with them and drove off after they asked if he would come with them to 
give a talk to all of their medics back at their hospital, being the legendary Frank Burns that he is, and he annoyed them so much they let him go. <laughs> Makes sense. They stopped the Just jeep. Saying. They stopped the jeep, turned and looked at him and said, get out. I don't care if you would be a good hostage. We cannot stand you anymore, and if we have to listen to you for five more minutes, we will kill you, get out, and walk back to your camp. And then left. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so like, th- this is a thing that, ha- that has existed since time immemorial. Um, I can't, most, of, most of the time done by bad guys, occasionally done by good guys, and to this, to this I think it was... I don't think anybody outside of maybe the players anybody watching was necessarily fooled by this but it's still a good moment nonetheless yeah mm-hmm. um dramatically appropriate yeah yep nice character bit after mm-hmm. after after giving greenbeard the axe uh he then uh frees zenror Re- zenror reestablishes himself as the leader of the herd and announces that they are not going to be leaving western just yet they are going to stay one more night so that in the morning a dragon's hide could taste their axes. Uh, declaring that they were going to be ambushing uh, the dragon that is currently in charge of Westrun in the morning when it comes to pick up its delivery. Because uh, that is what is best in life. To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their dragons. Yes. Yep. Uh, the, the Vox Machina crew tentatively agrees to stay and help while with Scanlan saying just say yes if we want we can leave in the middle of the night it's fine <laughs> which is kind of amusing to me as a as a as a narrative beat of because because Vos Machina are ostensibly the protagonists here you know the ones that are <laughs> supposed to be out hunting these dragons but all of a sudden this has all the earmarks of turning into and now the story of the herd of storms who freed Taldore from the dragons because Vox Machina wasn't sure that they were ready and fucked off in the middle of the night. Yep. Absolutely. Vox Machina are the protagonists. They're not necessarily the good guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a distinction that has to be made. Yes, it does. John Wick is a protagonist. He's not a good guy. Um, he's a gooder now, guy. Now, 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 <laughs> he's now, a gooder now I guy. want John Wick does Taldori, where you know the the Chroma Conclave sacks Iman and takes over the continent, he kills his and then dog. They all wake, right, and then they all wake up the next day, and all the dragons have just been shot in the head twice. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, you fuck with the Baba Yaga, <laughs> right? You you deserve what you get. <laughs> John Wick, this immortal revenant that just comes through and just right. just massacres the dragons in the night to some really uh, to some really actually quite fantastic like uh, 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 rave music happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and lots of bisexual lighting. Lots of bi- there's lots of bisexual lighting in John there, Wick. There really is tons of bisexual. Even in the desert, there's bisexual lighting. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it's a bi desert, dude. I, I feel like it's more of a bi moon, really. Well, okay. Murdering people under the bi moon. Yep, that's a story I'm now writing. <laughs> that's the title: murdering underneath, murdering people under the bi moon. There's first a werewolf whose hair, whose fur is purple, pink, and blue. <laughs> Anyways, 
I'm down for this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, they they agree to help, and the camp sort of begins to disperse and make camp. With that having now been settled, the very first thing on Vox Machina's to-do list is to revive the kid that was killed because they were taking too long. <laughs> Which Magic is great. Sometimes it lets you roll back the mistakes that you feel guiltiest about and ignore the mistakes that you don't feel so guilty about. Exactly. Ignoring all the other innocent people who were dead, they revive the one kid. Which, you know, fair enough. If I only had one revival spell... If I only had one revival spell to use and it was like four old people and a kid, I would pick the kid too. I mean, I think most people yep. would. Um, even if the kid was a jerk, which we don't know because we haven't really met this kid, but... Uh, if the kid's a jerk, well, you still revive the kid because the kid will be able to carry your luggage around for you that much longer. There you go. Um, they, they, they go into another one of the house rules that I mentioned previously that, that Mercer uses specifically to make revival rituals a little bit more stressful, intense, and less immediate gratification like they are in the classic rules, uh, and manage to successfully revive the child, uh, who indicates that he, he was caught, uh, while trying to hide, uh, as the fighting started, and that's really all he can remember. He doesn't, he doesn't, he great, he gratefully doesn't remember dying. Uh, which That's the good. which Vox Machina is good because that means they won't have to pay his therapy bills. Um, Are we really sure that kid wasn't lying? Though? He very well could have been, but we don't right. know. When 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 the the first thing you see after coming back from the other side of the veil is the very guilty yet relieved faces of the people that should have probably been busy preventing your death in the first place. Sometimes you just decide, you know what. They've had a hard day, right? So let's go easy on them. I don't need to burden them with my shit right now. <laughs> and this is and this is I'll one of the. I'll just go cry in the corner. This is also one of the ways that you can tell that Matt Mercer and I are not the same person, because right. while we do often, while we do somehow have a mental, like a mental parasitic worm that makes us do the same story beats on the same night, um. I would have had the child immediately begin relating every emotion, every emotionally scarring aspect of their death that they could remember out loud and in a panicked voice. So, <laughs> because then I can transfer that scarring to you. Right. It's, it's like, it's emotional scarring via osmosis. It's great. It works well. Um, anyways, uh, they agree to re they agree to uh, do their best to find the kid's parents, whom he doesn't know what happened to them. At, while they are also looking to find Pike's grandfather, who is somewhere those, in restaurant. Parents are dead. I guarantee it. Probably. Um, Absolutely. Ninety-five. One hundred percent guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Um, those kids are th those parents are fucked. I mean, this is what happens when your kid uh, when your kid wants to grow up to be an adventurer, right? <laughs> yep. 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 You gotta die. Those are the rules. Those right? are the rules. Yeah. I can't. My my daughter's already swinging around swords, so I eventually I'm going yep, to have to die. Your days are numbered. Yeah. Your day, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, there's a there's this weird there's a series of no numbers that keep counting down on my wrist. I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, Grog in the meantime uh, commands some of the herd to release any prisoners that they had that they might have captured prior to the dragon happening because they're not going to be of any use to fight the dragon. Um, which is done, though still with some amount of tension, because 
the herd of storm the 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 various members of the herd of storms did just watch these people murder their leader and a bunch of their friends so they are understandably right. tense and wary of vox machina at the moment yeah, there's a little, little bit on edge there which is where the session comes to an end as they agree to go look for this kid's parents putting him on the back of trinket and also with the release of other prisoners and then they're going to fight a dragon tomorrow. They are going to fight. And with the, understand, the understanding that they might be fighting a dragon tomorrow. Might be fighting a dragon. Yep. Could happen. So yeah, but that's, that's the end of uh, the kill box. Next time we'll be coming back with At Dawn We Plan, which is the origin of, which is the episode, I believe, in which that phrase originated. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, which, when we'll, we'll get to talk about the... Uh, the, the aspects of planning sessions that some of us like and don't like and can get away and could care less about. But until then, say goodbye, everybody. Bye! Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.